Well, I do invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2. You're looking at your pew Bible. That's on page 178. And let us stand together for the reading of God's Word. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, he will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And, he, she, and she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your works, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They, they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Please be seated. What is the book of Joshua about? 
It's a book about God fulfilling his promise of the land that he promised earlier to Abraham and repeated that promise to Isaac and and Jacob and to Moses and to the people of Israel. And there's a reason why God is giving them this land. He, of course, he promised it to Abraham centuries before, but he's also bringing judgment. That's made clear in Genesis 15 when God reaffirms his promise to Abraham. He says, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's talking about Egypt, of course. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That little phrase there at the end, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So the Amorites were the inhabitants, some of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan, and they were building up judgment for themselves. And if you'll notice in our reading today, it referred to Og and Sion, the kings beyond the Jordan, who were Amorite kings. So the nation of Israel was God's instrument of justice and judgment upon these people. In Leviticus 18, when Moses is giving laws to the people of Israel, he says, "Do not make this is Leviticus 18, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean so that I punished its its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations, so that the land became uncleaned, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. Of course, we know the history. They're going to get vomited out themselves later because they did not keep God's law. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. And then once more in Deuteronomy 9, Moses reminds them, the second generation that's going through uh, into the promised land with Joshua, Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So it's important to note that they were bringing judgment upon these people that were living in this land. Now, when you're looking at the book of Joshua, you wonder... Or at least I began to wonder. And as I read some information, the, the people writing that information were wondering, why is Joshua chapter 2 in the book of Joshua? Because it really isn't important in the story of taking over the land. You could leave it out and you could go from chapter 1 right to chapter 3 
and you wouldn't miss a beat. It wouldn't change the story or the outcome at all. But obviously it's important because it's here. And the writer of Joshua puts it right up at the beginning, front and center, because it's an important story. And if we only knew of Rahab from Joshua, uh, if that's all you knew, you, you would still be wondering, what in the world is this all about? This story about a prostitute who's treasonous. But then, of course, we know what the rest of the New Testament says about her and the important part she plays. We'll get to that in a minute. Some of you already know the, the end of the story. But I'm going to be like the guy on the radio, wait for the rest of the story. So three things we want to look at here. First, the faults of Rahab, and then the faith of Rahab, and finally the future of Rahab. Well, if you look at the story, like I said, chapter 2, uh, the story of Rahab is, is superfluous, really, to the grand scheme of the story. But also, sending the spies to Jericho to look at the land wasn't necessary either. God had promised to give them the land, and why did they need to go look at it first? I mean, they could have just marched right in there, and God was going to give it to them. But, of course, I'm thinking Joshua's a good leader. He's got good practices, and he's counting the cost, looking at his opponent, looking at what he's going to take over, and so the spies go. But it wasn't necessary. But isn't it wonderful that they go, and they meet up with Rahab, and they hear what she says, that our hearts are melting with the news that the Israelites are coming. And surely the Lord is giving you this land. They didn't have to have that confirmation, but the Lord was gracious and gave them uh, a little inside information that surely bolstered their hearts. And, and when they come back to, at, at the end and report back to Joshua, in verse 24, they said, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Already, present tense has given all the land into our hands. Also, all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Their faith was confirmed as they went forward with what God had told them to do. And that's a good lesson to us, but not the lesson that I want to make today. That was a little extra bonus for you. But here we have Rahab. She's got a lot of things against her. A, she's one of the Canaanites. One of these people that are under the judgment of God. Uh, the Israelites are coming to take their land. So she's a, a foreigner to the Israelites. She's uh, someone under judgment. And on top of that, she's a prostitute. She's uh, committing adultery, fornication, sexual sins. Someone that was seen to be very far from the grace of God. And then on top of that, she's a liar. She's uh, committing treason against her people by harboring these spies and, and lying to the king. So she's got a lot against her, this Rahab. But the wonderful thing is that she has faith. She has heard the word of judgment. She has heard the news of what God is doing. And it's changed her, apparently. The very center of this story where the meat is, 
If you think of this chapter 2 like a sandwich, you got the introduction where the spies come in and then you got the end result where the spies go out. And in the middle, you have this wonderful speech by Rahab right in the center. That's the meat of the sandwich. That's the most expensive part and the best part. The lettuce and the, the bun, that's just holding it together. What we really want to look at is Rahab and what she says. Look at verse 9. And she said to the men, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all that we and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came to Egypt and how they destroyed Og and Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites. Rahab had heard and believed. She heard the news and she believed there was content to her faith. If she had never heard anything, she couldn't believe it, right? You, you have to hear something. You have to have some information in order to believe something first. And that's true of our faith. I got into a conversation the other day with a, an acquaintance who's an agnostic and he loves to discuss faith and spiritual things. And he was asking me about Jesus' sayings like, uh, if you only had faith like a mustard seed, you could uproot a tree or you could move a mountain. And he was, he was questioning me about that. And I was trying to explain to him that the most important thing about faith is the object of the faith. Jesus is not telling us if we just believed hard enough, we can make a, I can make that oak tree go flying up in the air that's on the playground. Uh, if I believed uh, hard enough and perfectly enough, then I can make a mountain move. That's not what Jesus is pointing out there. If you look at the context of, of every time he says those sayings, the disciples are asking him for more faith. How do, how do I increase my faith? Because what you're saying uh, is, is difficult for us to do. Or we're failing to cast out demons. And he's talking about where their faith is. The object of your faith is what's important because God can do anything. God is the one who is the object of our faith. And that's what she's doing here, Rahab. She has heard about this God, Yahweh, and what he's doing, and she's believing it. She believes it's, it's coming. I know that the Lord has given you the land. She knew it, she believed it, and she acted upon it. So there's content to your faith. See, it's not faith in faith. It's not just the quality of your faith. It's the object of your faith. I use this illustration a lot, and I think it's a great illustration. When the children of Israel left Egypt and they, they were walking through the Red Sea, you know, the waters were piled up on either side, and they are, God has told them, follow Moses through the sea. I'm sure some of those folks were like going, this is so cool, look at what God's doing. And they're excited about being delivered and no fear at all. And then other people would be like me, like, oh, no, we are going to die. This is going to come down any minute. But whether they were in awe or whether they were 
afraid, they went through the water. They believed and they went through. It was that they put their faith in what Moses told them to do, what God had told Moses to tell them to do. And they walked. And it didn't matter if they were afraid or if they were in awe. They had their faith in the correct object. And they were saved. That's what Rahab is doing. She's put her faith in what she's heard and she's believed it. And she's acting upon it. And you see the confession of her faith. Verse 11. The last part of that. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. See, she confesses her faith. She confesses that the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. He is the God. Not the gods of my people, not any other gods out there, but he is the one. She had the conviction of faith. See, she knew it, she'd heard it, she knew it, and she's saying it. Yes, I know this about God. She confesses her faith. And she confesses the majesty of God. She's talking about how great he is. He's the God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. He is the God. He's the one. So that's where her faith is, and she confesses it. And it's confirmed. Her faith is confirmed by what she does next. Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also deal kindly with my father's house. So here's the evidence of faith. I love what Ralph Davis says about it, uh, Old Testament scholar. Genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge in God. Rahab not only must know the clear truth about God, but also must escape the coming wrath of God. So see, she's acting on her faith. She's crying out for mercy. She's trying to take refuge from the judgment in the God, God who is the judge. She's running to him for refuge. My agnostic acquaintance, <clears throat> he loves to talk about God and He's wrestling with it all, but I wish I could just say to him, look, just try him on. <laughs> try God on. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Act on it. Don't just be stuck in this world of doubt where you don't believe anything. I think, I think you'd rather see him be an atheist than just an agnostic and not really settle down on the question at all. Just floating around out there without any resolution one way or the other. See, Rahab heard it, she knew it, she confessed it, and she was leaning on the Lord for mercy. She was running to him for refuge. And the New Testament talks about it as an example of faith. Hebrews 11.31, By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She was rescued and saved. James 2. 25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. See, her faith went into action. And she, she acted upon what she believed. 
She did something with her faith. She believed in this God, and it drove her to a courageous obedience. She risked her life. In contrast with the, remember the earlier generation that, that died in the wilderness of the Israelites, they did not have faith, and they died there, and they did not get to enter the promised land. In contrast to her, she was supposed to die in the promised land, but she's saved, and she lives there the rest of her days. She risked her life for what she believed. She lost her life only to find a new life. She became a new creation. They keep calling her Rahab the prostitute, but she left that world behind. I think they only mention that. James, the writer of Hebrews, they only mention that to highlight the transformation that she underwent. Kind of like we read about in Titus, where we were once... We were once in darkness. We were once far away. And now the Lord has absolutely transformed us. New creations in Christ. That's what Rahab became. Like the repentant prostitutes whom Jesus welcomed into his fellowship, Rahab surrenders her former identity to become part of God's redemptive story. Flip over to chapter 6 of Joshua. We see that she is saved. Verse 22 of chapter 6, the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there, her, bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her, and they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And she ended up getting married. She got married to a man named Salmon. And they had a child, a child named Boaz. And that child Boaz married a Moabite woman named Ruth. And they had a child named Obed, and he had a child named Jesse. And Jesse had a child named David, the king, as it says in Matthew chapter 1. And it goes on down until it gets to Jesus Christ. So Rahab the prostitute was a great-grandmother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As was Ruth the Moabitess as well. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful for us who are Gentiles that we got welcomed in to the family of God? See, it, it's, it's, not just, uh, it's not just the story of Jesus reaching in that lost sheep leaving the 99 and finding that one, because that's what he did with Rahab, the one person in her family that was saved out of Jericho. It points us to Jesus like that, but it points to all of us who are lost that Jesus takes the outsider, uh, the sinner, the prostitute, the person who's committed sexual sin, the person who's done all manner of things that you think can't be forgiven. Jesus can forgive you. He can cleanse you. 
He can make you a new creation in Christ. And many of you can testify to the fact that he has done that for you. If you don't know that today, and if you want that, all you have to do is ask. Call on him. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, like Rahab did. She called on the name of Yahweh, the Lord, and she was saved. She's a beautiful paradigm of God's purpose of grace in human history, taking the outsiders, the unqualified, and using them for his redemptive purposes. So wonderful Rahab reminds us of God's wonderful, amazing grace. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to undeserving sinners like Rahab, like us. Lord, we pray that if anybody here doesn't know you and, and is caught in their sin, we pray, Lord, that you would free them, wash and cleanse and free them from the guilt of sin, free them from the power of sin. And, Lord, we look to that day when you'll free us from the presence of sin. In that land, that city that is built by God, the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we pray that you would prepare us for that day and help us to be citizens of heaven while we walk in this earth, testifying to your amazing grace to the world, holding out hope and reconciliation between God and man as, as your ambassadors here in this world. Help us, Lord, to be transformed. Help us to live out our faith, to, to trust you in all things. And, Lord, help us to taste and see that you are good evermore, to constantly be seeing and plunging into the depths of your goodness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.